it's just, it's really, really important to remember why you started and to remember that, you know, it's, it's a lifestyle. It is a complete lifestyle change. And, you know, once you embrace it and you continue to remember why you started and you remember that you just have to do it for today, you come into this whole new way of being and of living and the less you have to remind yourself of those things, you know, but when they come up, you, you just go back to why you started. It's time for the Share Recovery Podcast, where we bring you amazing life-changing success stories from addicts and alcoholics all over the world who share their inspiring journey in recovery. And now, here's your host, Oh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of TSP, the Share Podcast. And today, we have Carly Benson joining us on the show. And Carly is a member of the American Association of Christian Counselors and Coaches. She is a certified Christian life coach through Light University and has also served on the board of directors for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Her mission is to teach people to love their weirdness and to bring forth the most epic versions of themselves. To live epic lives that are purpose-driven, passion-fueled, faith-centered, and serve others in a way that offers impactful change. But life wasn't always sunshine and rainbows for Carly. For a decade, her life was jam-packed and fully loaded with a party scene on constant repeat as if she had an IV of adrenaline directly connected to a brain that didn't think the word no even existed. There was no place she wouldn't go or things she wouldn't do to get her fix. One morning after a night of drug-filled oblivion and reckless alcohol consumption, she made the decision to clean up her act. Not really sure how she made it out alive, the only viable explanation is that God and his angels were watching out for her. Over the years, Carly has told her story to friends, family, and even people she just met. The first thing they ask her is, how did you do it? How did you change your life? Where Carly replies, it all started with a prayer. Join us now as Carly takes us through her drug-filled oblivion and her journey into recovery up until today. But first, if you would like to know the best way to show your support for the Share Podcast, here are a few ways you can help. First, go to www.thesharepodcast.com and there you can sign up for our free newsletter, which will let you know every time a new episode of the Share Podcast comes out. You can leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. If you would like to know other places that you can listen to the Share Podcast, you can listen to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. If you would like to donate to the Share Podcast, you can do so via PayPal, or you can support us on Patreon. We have a thriving Facebook group that grows daily and has massive participation. Again, it's a private group. So if you would like to discuss recovery, share your experience, strength, and hope, help others, or lean on others for support, be sure to join the Facebook private group. And all of this information can be found on the website. So go to the website, and there you will find all the information that you need to help support the show. So now a quick message from our sponsors and on to the show. Sober Nation is the largest online recovery community and treatment resource center. They provide treatment resources to those struggling with addiction as well as to the family members who are caught in the crossfire. On top of that, Sober Nation is a huge community of good people who share their experience with each other. They have informative content, recovery and addiction news, as well as an entire clothing line which helps expand the culture of recovery. They can easily be found at www. 
SoberNation.com. SoberNation is putting recovery on the map. And finally, would you like to receive the most popular AA daily devotions free in one distribution? Transitions Daily delivers daily devotions from the 24 hours a day, AA thought for the day, daily reflections, big book quote, just for today, as Bill sees it, plus more. You can get our distribution daily via email, private Facebook group, or Twitter. Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information. And don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends in meetings and with sponsees in recovery. Now back to the show. Hey, Carly, thanks for joining us. Hey, oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm really excited about having you on the show today. How are you feeling? I'm excited too. I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk with you and share and um, give some wisdom to all your listeners. <laughs> I love it. That is yeah. fantastic. Let's do this. Okay, so folks... Today we have Carly Benson joining us on the Share Podcast, the founder of Miracles Are Brewing, and her mission is to teach people to love their weirdness and to bring forth the most epic version of themselves. So Carly, you ready to get started? I am. Let's do it. Right. Game on. Let's do this. Okay. <laughs> so take us into your normal daily routine and also tell us a little bit more about Miracles Are Brewing. Okay. Um, so we can start with the daily routine. Um, I don't have like a set in stone one, but there are some things that I really try to do, um, on a daily regular basis. Um, so if it's a really good day and I'm just nailing it on my spiritual <laughs> practice, <laughs> uh, it looks like I wake up and, um, get my morning coffee. And before I like get my day started, I like to read the Bible. I'll read like Psalms or I'll read Proverbs or like, I'll just open it. And it kind of just like kind of sets the tone for the day. I do some prayer, maybe some meditation. And then I sort of get on with my day cause I I'm running, um, a few businesses right now. So, um, I try to just have that little time in the morning where like, before I start doing emails or anything, I just give myself that time to have a little bit of quiet time and to just, you know, let spirit speak to me, if you will. And um, I, I usually at some point in the day, because um, my, my, my day is pretty flexible, um, thankfully, <laughs> I like to get to a yoga class or I've been doing like Orange Theory is my new like little workout thing that I like to do or something in nature, whether it's a hike or going for a run. Um, I really am like a big believer in sweating, <laughs> sweating for me. I love a good sweat. There's just something about it where, you know, when you just leave it on all on the floor and like your heart's pounding and you're out of breath and you just feel challenged and you, and you push your body further than you actually thought you could. For me, that is like a huge stress reliever. That is like the way that I get everything out, all my like emotional stuff that maybe I have been carrying around for the day or the week or whatever it might be. Um, so those are like the two or few main things. And then I, I, um, it's not every day, but I, I go to church. That's another big thing for me. That's sort of like my check-in on things. Um, I kind of have been moving around a little bit. Um, I've just moved from the East coast to the West coast. So I'm happy. I just found, um, a place that I really feel connected with, um, so that sense of like community, you know, um, right. 
Yeah. So those are like my main spiritual practices, I guess, if you will. Uh, sometimes I like to do like a slower yoga class where you kind of get into like an active meditation. I actually just did this really cool breath work, um, workshop and it was an active meditation where, um, the teacher sort of walked you through a certain way to breathe and you sat there and breathed and you had like different things that you would focus on. And it was just really cool, um, how you could sort of like feel, uh, the energy in your body. Um, and I know that kind of maybe sounds a little bit heady for some people, but (laughs) if you're not good at meditating and can't seem to quiet your mind, that's a really cool way. Um, a new way that I found that like is really, really cool to connect with yourself. Um, so I don't practice meditation as much as I'd like to, but now that I have this new tool in my tool belt, I'll probably give that a try a little more often. Um, and then I guess the main practice, which you said you wanted me to touch on is miracles are brewing. And that is my website and my blog. Um, and that's been a huge part of my recovery program. Um, it, because I'm writing, which is a really great outlet for me. Um, it's sort of first started out as, a hobby. I, um, I was kind of going, I was kind of going through a rough time about three years into my sobriety and, um, I had, I was going through a breakup and I was pretty much devastated and, um, obviously drinking and using cocaine were no longer options for me. So <laughs> I, um, I took a writing class, like a creative writing class. And I started writing about my sobriety, like about the last night that, um, I drank and used and, I, it was just, you know, a form of therapy for me. And then I started showing it to people and I showed it to a couple people and they're like, wow, this is really good. You could, you could help a lot of people. So, um, I kind of took the knowledge that I have from my day job, which is doing website development and internet marketing and created a blog (laughs) and didn't tell anyone about it for a long time. Uh And put on there and kind of like just I was just writing and that's what I do is write about my journey what I've learned um things that have been helpful for me um it's not necessarily all sobriety based either a lot of it is just sort of personal development like enlightenment sort of things that um I started writing about and then I finally got brave enough to share it on Facebook um and it just sort of took off and I would get people reaching out to me asking me uh, exactly what this call is about is, you know, how did you do it? How did you get sober? I want to, I want to, I want to change my life. I don't know how. And so I kind of saw that there was like a huge, um, opportunity and, and, and need actually more so for people who wanted to make a change in their life, but they didn't know how to, to get started. And especially for me, when I was getting started, um, and we can talk about this, you know, later on in the call is I didn't really resonate with going to meetings. And so I was like researching online and trying to find online, <laughs> online resources. And this is like way back in the day before all of, you know, all of this amazing sober blogger community, I like stood up and rose up. And, um, so I was like, man, I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to keep writing about this. And it just evolved. And, um, the Facebook page has grown into like this massive tribe, which is so awesome. And I'm doing coaching now one-on-one for sobriety and faith coaching as well. Um, so it's pretty cool. Uh, it's been 
it's been quite the journey. And, you know, I first started it out, like I said, as a hobby, I, I really didn't know that it was going to kind of grow into what it has, but it's been such a blessing because it's held me so accountable, <laughs> you know, um, in those times where I'm thinking, Oh, maybe I could just have a drink or, I, you know, <laughs> oh, maybe I got this. And I'm like, wait, no, what are you talking about? You, what are you going to tell, you know, the people who read your site? Like you can't have a sober blogging business if you slip it up. You know what I mean? Yep. So it's kind of a really cool accountability thing for me. Um, and just, there's nothing better than, you know, when you're able to help someone through something maybe that you're familiar with or that you've gone through and to hear from them, you know, a month or a year or, or whatever the time frame may be later saying, Hey, you know what? Like talking to you has really shaped my journey and I'm sober now. And thank you. I mean, there's just really nothing that can top that and you can't put a price on it. And so it's been a real blessing to be able to have, you know, this outlet and, you know, to write and to be able to connect with people in that way. So that's been a really huge piece of my sobriety. That's amazing. You know, one of the takeaways that I took as you were telling the story is just the connection with the imposter syndrome, you know, where we just you don't feel like what we have to share is good enough that no one's going to want to read this. You're insecure about what you wrote. So you do, mm -hmm. you know, you wrote this blog up and you're like, okay, this is cool. I'm not going to share it though. Yeah. Uh, right. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> what is somebody going to say? Or what if they don't like it? Or what if they criticize me? Or what if I start, you know, it's. You it, are just like right up in my head. Yeah, yeah. No, it's the imposter syndrome where, you know, mm -hmm. the, it takes over and it starts talking to you in your own voice, you know, but it's always this negativity uh, about, you know, what you're doing and, and why you're doing it. And the reality is, is that we all have a voice. And, yes. you know, good, bad or indifferent, you know, we know once we're out there, you know, how the public's going to take it. But, you know, there's that little fear factor of, you know, oh, my God, you know, getting out and doing it. We all have it. You know, before I started oh. doing the podcast, it was, you know, OK, well, I got to make sure the, the website's perfect and exactly. the, the intro's yeah. perfect and everything's have to be perfect. And my wife would be like, why do you keep pushing the start date? Right. And I, uh -huh. I'm like, well, it's not exactly ready yet. And I just got busy yep. at work and I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep up with it. And it's just a bunch of bullshit. You know, we, 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 oh my gosh. you know, you are you know. So I know, I know. <laughs> oh, you should have seen me the first day I shared like my first blog on Facebook. I was freaking pacing around my house, sweating, like, oh my God, should I take it down? What are, are what are people going to think? Like, is this like, who am I to put this out here out there? Like, what if they don't like it? What if they make fun of me? I mean, I was just like, pacing seriously. And I mean, there's still a little bit of that every time I push publish on a blog, it's like, Oh, are people going to like it? And over time I've sort of trained myself that, you know what? It doesn't matter if someone likes it. All that matters is, is if whoever needs to read it is going to read it. I yes. believe in it, yeah. you know? So mm -hmm. it's like, whoever those words need to reach for some reason, they came transmitting through me and they're going to reach who they need to. And that sort of helps me get over like this fear of what are people going to think? Because at the end of the day, it's not about me. You know, it's about being of service, you know, 
sometimes, um, this is like a big thing that I've learned is that, you know, sometimes we think, oh, well, I sh- I can't write about that because someone already did, or I can't do that retreat because somebody already did, or I can't write that book because someone already wrote one like that. But what's, what's interesting and what I've heard and what I've learned, and I can't remember exactly where this, um, train of thought came from, but it's that basically like maybe someone else has done it, but they haven't done it the way that you're going to do it. And there is certain people in this world and only your words can get through to them. Yes. You know, so it's like, don't hold yourself back because you're worried about what other people think when you never know who that person might be that day that reads those words. And someone could have been telling them a million times what you're trying, that what you're writing about. But for some way, the way that you say it and the way that your energy comes across through it is exactly what they need to hear it for the first real time. Beautiful. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> so <laughs> Perfect. So, yeah. so let's start with um, give us your clean date and your anniversary date. How much, I'm sorry, how much clean time do you have and when is your anniversary date? So I have been sober for eight years. My sober anniversary I just celebrated last week. It was August 17th, uh, 2008. So um, yeah, it's been, been eight is great. (laughs) Eight is great. (laughs) Yeah, I saw that last week on your Facebook page. I was like, awesome. We're going to be doing the interview next week. So it's perfect timing. I know. I'm like all jazzed up. I'm like amped up. I went on like a cool trip to Cali and just like um, unplugged for a little while. And, you know, spend some time reflecting. I think that's a really important thing to do. Um, I always tell that to my clients is like, you know, when you reach a milestone, even if it's only a month, do something for yourself to celebrate yourself because it's hard work. It really is. And you really want to make sure that along the way you're reflecting on what you've been learning and what's been coming up for you and how you're working through things. So beautiful. So, um, we're going to start talking about, you know, the times where you were drinking and using now it's time to segue into the past. So first question is, how old were you the first time you drank or used drugs? And more importantly, how did they make you feel? The first time I drank, I was 15 years old. And um, it was just like a curiosity thing. I feel like I think the setting was like it was a bunch of us who we were sitting around someone's parents' house and somehow ended up with a bottle of Goldschlager. Oh, and yeah, <laughs> what a way to start. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. So, um, we took shots and I mean, it was just fun. I feel like we sat around and giggled and it kind of just gave me this sense of like freeness, I guess, uh, in his, I was like inhibited, you know what I mean? Like, or uninhibited. Sorry. Uh That's the word. That's That's what I was looking for. (laughs) And, um, also a sense of connection. Yes is uh, something I'll talk on too throughout this because after I've done a lot of reflecting and a lot of work, I realize that that's a big piece of the equation here. For sure, for sure. Now, wait a minute, Grosslager. You didn't get sick? I didn't. You know what it was? I really didn't go crazy on it the first time. So and and it was like there was like 15 of us sharing a bottle so (laughs) not for us to like even I don't even think I got drunk but I do remember that was the first time I drank and then after that um 
shortly after that, I should say, I ended up moving from Dallas, Texas to Naples, Florida. Nice. And I was devastated mm, about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I realized now looking back that that was a pretty traumatic event for me. I think a lot of people think that to experience a trauma, it has to be like some sort of injury or um, something where, you know, like a car accident or something or, or you know, and I'm not saying that that's not a tra trauma, but I'm saying, you know, there's things that can happen to you that are a traumatic event. And sometimes we don't realize something like a cross country move when you're in ninth grade can be something pretty traumatic. So <laughs> Um, needless to say, once I got to Naples, I, um, I was like this shy little girl. Um, I had just found like my, my tribe <laughs> at the time in Dallas. And I was like hanging out with the cool kids. I had a boyfriend and I was finally feeling like I wasn't this awkward seventh grader anymore, you know? And then here my parents moved me and uproot me to Naples where I don't know anyone. And I went from being the top dog in ninth grade in junior high in, in Dallas. Cause that's how they do it. It's like seventh to ninth and then moved to Florida and into high school in the middle of my ninth grade year where I became a freshman at the bottom of the barrel ninth oh, <laughs> to twelfth in yeah. Florida and man I I just remember walking into that lunchroom the very first day just like oh gosh Dude. I don't anyone who am I gonna sit with and like I ended up meeting some cool chicks and they were they, it wasn't as bad as I thought and um, then I met a guy and I kind of got like a boyfriend pretty quickly and he was on the football team. And Ooh. so I became friends with like all of him and mm. his friends. Yeah. Yeah. And so let's do this. Let's do this. I'm going to, I'm going to use that as, I'm going to use Naples as the springboard here. So yes. uh, I'm just going to unleash you here. So it's time for me to turn the show over to you, Carly. It's time okay. for you to share your story, the battle against drugs and alcohol, the wreckage it caused in your life. When you hit rock bottom, and then finally your journey into recovery up until today. So, from Naples, Carly, take it away. So, I got to Naples uh, after moving across the country from Dallas and um, quickly ha got a boyfriend, kind of got in with like the football crew. And um, it was, it's Naples. Naples is kind of like this sleepy beach town. There's not a lot to do. So, needless to say, we got pretty curious pretty quick. And we would go out like into, uh, the woods and the backs of people's houses and like different various places outside. And we just, we would get drunk and we would get drink and have a good time and smoke pot. And it all started out as like, you know, fun and games and a lot of curiosity. Um, it just like, didn't occur to me that that wasn't what you did. That's kind of what I just thought you did. And I was bored and I had just, you know, moved and was trying to like find my, my, my people. Um, so <laughs> I started partying at a pretty young age, kind of out of boredom and a little bit out of curiosity and not really peer pressure, but it was kind of like the thing everyone was doing that, that I was hanging out with. So really just started off with like a lot of beer drinking. I mean, there was a couple times where I got absolutely hammered off of like something stupid like Jack Daniels and I still can't smell it to this day. Um, but, uh, then it was kind of like transitioned into smoking weed. Um, nothing where it was like I was doing it every day. It was kind of like, 
you know, here and there on the weekends, we'd have fun or we'd find someone's house to go to. Um, and then I'd say probably by about my senior year, um, I had even experimented with like acid and mushrooms and things like that. I was just a very curious person. I was like kind of fearless. Um, and then the summer going into college, I was introduced to ecstasy Mm. and man, (laughs) did I do a lot of that? (laughs) I did. I, uh, I started rolling like pretty much almost every weekend, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday for like the entire summer before I went away to college. Um, yeah. And, um, it was just like, it was fun. It was like this sense of like freedom and party and connection and like this crazy, like feelings I had never felt before. And, um, so I went away to school, kind of calmed it down on the ecstasy and not that I didn't touch it anymore, but I wasn't doing it like on the regular anymore. Smoked a lot of weed. I drank a lot of beer. Um, and it was just, to me, it was like, Oh yeah, I'm in college. Cool. I just moved away. Like I don't have to answer my parents. I have my own apartment. This is awesome. Um, you know, I would get blacked out, uh, you know, like it, it, to me though, in my mind, I like having a problem was not, not even in the realm of my thinking. It was just like, Oh, this is what everyone does. Um, and then I ended up transferring. I had gone to Florida state the first year I transferred to the university of Tampa and that was like right in downtown Tampa. So every week that was a party school. Um, and every week it was Ybor city and, um, it's called this place called Ebor City. Okay. It's right in downtown Tampa. It's just like this. It's almost reminds me a little bit of New Orleans because it's like a long street of like bars and clubs, ah. and they have lights like hanging down the street. And it's just that's what everybody did. Like all week, every week, you just you would go to Ebor. And I actually was even doing promotions in college where I would work for the bars and I would fly. I was like a flyer girl. And then I was a bartender. And um, it was really just like a lot of drinking and smoking weed, um, mainly through college. And then it wasn't until my senior year of college where I tried cocaine for the first time. It was my second semester of my senior year. And I was like, damn, I almost made it out. (laughs) I almost made it. And I, I ever, like, ever since I was like, kind of like growing up and my mom and I would like have these talks about like, don't do drugs, drugs are bad for you. And she would tell me, she had always told me that like, if you tried cocaine, you could die the first time because you never know where it's coming from. Your heart could stop. And like that, that really had scared the fear into me. Yeah. Oh, when I tried it the first time, I did like a little tiny bit and it didn't really do much. And then, then I tried it again. Cause I was like, well, it's, I don't feel anything, you know? Nice. So then I tried it again and I did a little bit more and I kind of felt it. And then I did a little bit more and then I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I can drink as much as I want. <laughs> I can stay up later. Like, I just thought it was like, it gave me like these superpowers. Uh, or something. <laughs> oh my gosh. Totally so, right. Yeah. And then it was like, 
uh, you know, I was still in college, so it was this weird thing. And anyone that's done cocaine before can attest to this. It's like, once you start doing it and you start going to the after parties, you walk in and it's like the secret society and you walk in and you're like, dude, what are you doing here? And they're like, no, no, no. What are you doing here? And then you stay up all night talking to them and blowing lines. And it was like, um, all of a sudden I like, was this cool party girl, you know, and I was having fun and I was having all these cool connections and conversations with people. And I was just like, I could party and I was, I was damn proud of it too. I mean, I was always the last man standing. (laughs) I could drink anyone under the table and you know, it was really fun and exciting at first. And I guess then over time it started to turn into more of like, a habitual thing, um, where it was like, I could not go out and not have Coke. Yep. So, um, let's see, I, I graduated college in 2013. I'm going to age myself here and, um, <laughs> bring it. Bring it. <laughs> and, um, I continued to party until 2008. So I went five years pretty strong. Um, and I guess there was a couple periods of time where I, I stopped using cocaine and cause I, I like got a corporate job and I was like kind of flying straight for a little tiny span of time in there, but pretty much for those five years, I was partying pretty much nonstop, like all the time, every weekend and, um, always drinking, always using Coke. I literally like couldn't go out without it. The minute that the alcohol hit my lips, it was just like off to the races for me. If I didn't have it, I was going to find it. If you wanted to come great. If you didn't see you tomorrow, smell you later, like I'm going. And I guess probably, I don't know how long before I quit using it was, but I would say probably about a year prior to when I quit using and drinking, Um, I spiraled out of control. Mm -hmm. I went through another breakup and I just did not want to deal with it. So I was like, I just like ramped things up. And then, then at this point it was like, I was like doing bumps and cleaning my house and like taking naps under my desk at work. Um, I would like fall asleep in the shower. I mean, it was bad. Um, I always had it. And then I was hiding it. That was that was like a big thing for me. It was like, I didn't want to share it and I would, I would hide it from people. And, um, it was like, no matter how hard I tried when I realized what I was doing, I was like, okay, I'm going to moderate. I'm just going to go to happy hour. I'm going to have two drinks and I'm going to go home. And I just couldn't freaking do it to the point where it was like, I was getting mad at myself. Like, why can't you just, why can't you be normal about this? how hard I tried. My happy hours, hours always turned into like these sunrise escapades and, um, you know, chain smoking on a patio and not having my sunglasses. I mean, it was just miserable. And, um, I would come down and I would white knuckle it. I wasn't one of those ones of people that would like take Xanax to fall asleep or Ambien or whatever. I always would just white knuckle it cause I was afraid to like cross the drugs. So, um, it would give me massive anxiety and then it would turn into depression because I was exhausted and not sleeping. And, you know, when I was coming down, I knew I was coming down so I could deal with it. But what started happening was I started having anxiety, like in my real world life, like I would be sitting at my desk at work and I'd start getting panic attacks and that freaked me out. 
let me tell you. Um, so I guess there was like a series of events I could walk you through to, that led me up to August 17th, 2008. Bring it. Um, so basically, um, in March of 2008 is my birthday and I went to Miami that weekend to celebrate and, um, I literally just did every drug in the book. I mean, I, I started off with Adderall. I was drinking Red Bull vodkas. Then I moved on to what I thought was cocaine, but was really special K. And then I started doing Coke. Then I went to the club, took ecstasy. And all of a sudden, like after, you know, this 30, well, I guess it was 48 hour bender, my body just started rejecting it. And I basically started to OD that weekend in Miami and, um, really should have gone to the hospital probably. Like I'm, I'm really lucky I'm alive because I took so many drugs that weekend that I was literally like puking up green things. And I was afraid to fall asleep. I wouldn't let my girlfriends let me fall asleep because I was afraid I wasn't going to wake up. And I didn't want to go to the hospital because I didn't want my parents to know. And after that weekend, everyone was like, man, dude, you need to slow down. Like that's not normal partying. You know, I'm worried about you. And I kind of heard it, but I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll be fine. And maybe I took off like a couple days and then I was right back at it. And then in May of that same year, I went on a girl's trip to Vegas and on the way there, I got a little toasty on the plane and I'm not exactly sure what happened, but I showed up at my, the house that we were staying at for the trip and my wallet was gone. And it was like a Gucci wallet. It had all my money, all like my ID, my social security card, all my credit cards. So I was heated. Mm. And I just went off into Carly land and like got an eight ball and <laughs> sort of disappeared for the weekend. And it was horrible. It was like so selfish. We were there for one of my girlfriend's birthdays. And here I am just in, stuck in my own world. Like I think I even went to Dre's, which is an after hours by myself because nobody wanted to go. And and, um, at the end of that weekend, they were all like, you are such a, you're just so selfish. Like, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Um, you know, like they kind of joked about it, but they were really serious. Like they had me be like their slave for the day where I had to get them anything they wanted, like to make up for how right. selfish I had been that weekend, you know? And it, that wasn't a good feeling, but I, I it still kind of wasn't clicking. And so that brings me to August 17th. (laughs) Um, So these kind of like series of events that happened and um, I was like trying to slow it down. I had heard those people telling me, you know, Hey, you need to slow down. I had a couple other people asking me, Hey, do you want to come to church? It was just like, I had this like whisper going on. And all the while I'm having anxiety and panic attacks and sleeping problems and depression. And I'm just like, I'm just a mess. And so I'm like determined that I'm going to go to happy hour and I'm going to go home. I didn't even want to go out that night, but my girlfriend's like, come on, let's go. Let's get a couple drinks. So I'm like, all right, fine. Two glasses of wine and I'm going home. Mm-hmm. Well, that didn't happen. And <laughs> I turned into like this escapade of me like gallivanting around trying to find Coke. I finally found it. Um, and then the next thing I know, it's like nine in the morning and I'm standing in a kitchen talking to this stranger, like a guy that was with us that, that night and who wanted to do it with me. And I still don't remember his name to this day. 
I just remember standing there and sun was shining. There was nowhere to sleep. I was out of cocaine. I was coming down and it just was like, hit me. What, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And it was funny because I would always take my sunglasses out with me because I always knew, like I was prepared. I knew that I was going to be seeing the sunrise most likely. Mm. And that morning I had forgotten my sunglasses. And so I was like, man, I shouldn't drive home. But I did anyways because I was just so uncomfortable. I was just uncomfortable in my own skin. I just remember the light was like just shining on me that morning, just like blaring in my eyes. But it was like a different light that day. And I got home and I just felt like such a jerk because my dog was there and I had left her all night again. I was like, man, you're such a bad mom. You know, it was that whole story in your head of just what a horrible person you are. And like, what if your parents knew this? What if your grandparents knew this? And I just, um, I just like, I started to freak out and I didn't realize it at the time, but I, I was starting to come down. Now it's like the afternoon. I had taken a shower. Nothing was working. I couldn't fall asleep. I had started hallucinating. And I realized now that I've done a lot of research and blogging on for like different recovery centers that I was actually experiencing delirium tremens that day. Oh, wow. I drank a lot and I hadn't slept and I hadn't ate. And I just like, I started shaking. I was seeing shit and I was just like, man, there just has to be a better way. Like there's gotta, there's gotta be something different. And, um, at the time I had a friend who was like two months ahead of me in his sobriety. So I called him up and I'm crying and I'm like, Oh, how did you do it? Like I'm freaking out, you know? And he's like, you know, calm down, you know, tell me what happened. And he kind of calmed me down. And that was literally the first time I had ever said, I need help. And, I mean, I'm getting the chills right now just thinking about it because that is such a, like, defining moment when you finally come to terms with the fact that this isn't right and I I need some help. And so he had told me to go to AA, and I wasn't sure about that idea just yet. And we hung up the phone, and I just started bawling, crying because it hit me. It was like, wow, this is really going on. Like, you really are saying, like, you got to get some help here. And something came over me in that moment. I was crying. I was bawling. I was just like feeling helpless. And I literally dropped to my knees. I was not a religious person. I was not going to church. Um, I believed in a God. I just didn't know what it meant. I was just too busy partying. I had no clue about any of it. But something in that moment told me to get down on my hands and knees and pray. And that's exactly what I did. And, um, I just, I was like, you know what, God, I don't want to live this way anymore. And I, I need a miracle. Like I I'm so fed up with this life. I can't do it this way anymore. I obviously can't do this on my own. And so if you're real and this is a real thing, like I need you to help me. Like I, I, I need a miracle. I don't want to live this way anymore. And Oh, I get the chills every time I tell that story because it was such a powerful moment where like this wave of calmness came over me and I literally never drank or did cocaine from that day forward. Wow. That is just a miracle. It is. Yeah. And, (sighs) and it's just like, you know what? There's no way 
in my mind that I could have done that by myself, No, you know? And so that's kind of my miracle story and how I really started believing in, in miracles. And it was a, a physical experience for me. Um, it was like, it was like a then and a now in that moment. Unbelievable. Powerful, <laughs> powerful story. Oh, Carly, man, I tell you, there was so much. Well, I'm a, that was my drug of choice, <laughs> cocaine. Really? You know? Okay. So I'm listening to your story and I feel like I'm listening to my own story through a female voice because yes. it just, it does the same thing. It completely consumes you. It takes control and you start to believe things that, that are so not true and it just takes you, it just, it just carries you away. And next mm-hmm. thing you know, you're just this monster wreaking havoc on the planet and on your friends and on everybody around you. And it's just about, you know, how do I keep this thing going? How yes. do I keep this thing going? And all the time deluding ourselves because we're chasing a high. We're chasing a high that we're never going to capture again. Mm-mm. And it was never, it was like I could never, it was never the same as the first time. Never. You know, I was like, you always were chase it was it was that that was exactly it it was i was chasing it i was always chasing it i was chasing 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 and then at the same time it was telling me that i was worthless mm-hmm. and i had so much shame and so much guilt um that i carried inside of me because i knew what i was doing was wrong at my core like my spirit knew what i was doing was wrong but i couldn't stop absolutely I couldn't, couldn't no. stop so here you are You've gotten down on your knees. You pray to God. You feel that because it is a it is it is a moment. I know it. I've been there. But it's also a fleeting moment. And if you don't act on those feelings, if you don't act on what you've just connected with, then mm-hmm. shortly thereafter you're going to go. For many, you know, that passes, and you go right back to you know what you've been doing, and. For you, it wasn't the case. For you, you you took this moment and you ran with it. What's the mm-hmm. first thing you did once you realized that someone was listening, that you're connected with a higher power? What was what did you do? I felt heard and I felt shaken in a way that I had never felt before. And I was like, "This is serious stuff, and I need to get real serious about it myself." And I had had enough. I was tired of being sick and tired. I was just, I couldn't do it anymore. And so um, in that moment, I kind of, like I said, I had this wave of calmness come over me. And I, I did go to an AA meeting that night. Surprisingly enough, I did. I, I drove to it. I drove in the parking lot. I drove right back out. I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, you made it this far. Just come on. Just try something new. Try try anything. Try something new. Try something different. And so I went in, and it was a speaker meeting, and um, it was cool. It was like a small meeting, and I guess I'll this will explain why I guess I got a little turned off by AA. And um, it, I was connecting with the speaker, and it was cool. But all of a sudden, the cell phone started ringing. I've actually never told this story publicly, so you're getting first dibs on it. I love it. Um, uh, a cell phone starts ringing in the middle of the meeting, 
And this girl that's sitting next to me, she starts pulling out cell phone after cell phone after cell phone. I'm not kidding you. She pulled out like six cell phones. And here I am thinking, oh my gosh, this girl is a call girl. I am not like this girl. This is not like me. Like, I'm just, I'm not like these people here. Okay. And so the meeting comes to an end and they, they ask if anyone's there for their first time, if they want to surrender. And I, I raise my hand, I get my white chip. I still carry that thing around in my wallet because it was just such a moment for me. Yeah. And anyways, everyone comes up to you afterwards and they're hugging you and da da da. So the girl comes up to me and she's like, so are you court ordered to be here? And I'm Oh no. Like I'm not like this like thug gangster person. You know what I mean? And in my mind, in that moment, I was like, I'm not like them. I'm not like them. And I was like, you know, now looking back, I know I'm, I was exactly like everyone in that room. I just wore it differently. I was a high functioning alcoholic addict and I, I hit it well. I never got in trouble. Thank the Lord. I didn't get a DUI. I wasn't court ordered to be there. I never got to the point where I was like doing weird things for money or any of that. But in my mind, I, it just clicked in my mind. I was like, Nope, I'm not like them. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's just, it's like, I think subconsciously I really didn't want to do the step work and I didn't want to like answer to a sponsor or, or sort of like trade my one vice, which was drinking and using for meetings. Um, so in my mind that day I was like, okay, well I'm still surrendering, but I'm not going to, I can't go there. Like I, I, it, it did, I wasn't feeling connected. Like I had felt, you know, over here when I was getting high all the time. And so, um, and that's not to knock AA or anything at all, but I'm just walking you through my thought process. You know, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. new to me. This is so new to me. Like literally I had just come off of a bender. I think I slept for three hours before I went to this meeting maybe. And it was an emotional day. And in my mind, I just was like, nope, that's not it. So then I went to church and I was like, wow, that felt pretty good. I felt connected. I liked what they had to say. No one was like going to make me answer to them. You know, it was like, I just wanted to be sober. And, um, yeah, then I, so I started going to church. I started working out a lot and I sort of like, I stopped going out. I, I knew that I probably wasn't going to be strong enough to go out and not drink or use. And so I had made this decision and I was like, you know what? I'll tell you the truth. Initially it started out as like, okay, let me just see if I can go 30 days. Mm. I just want to go one month. I just want to prove to myself that I could go one month. And, um, so one month turned into three months and I was like, okay, that wasn't that bad. My skin's looking better. My bank account's looking better. Like <laughs> things are working this is cool. So then it was like six months and then nine months. And the next thing I know it's a year and I'm like, there ain't no way I'm going back to that. And I'm not trading in on my time. Nope. I was, I'm like a very competitive person. So I was like in this competition with myself, like my old self and my new self. We were like, we were grappling. We yeah. were going at it. And the new self was winning. <laughs> so um, I guess that's sort of like, you know, it, for me, like to answer your question, the real question was, you know, what did I do as soon as I connected with that higher power and that source in that moment? 
And I guess my, my biggest advice to anybody that maybe has one of those moments or is looking for one of those moments, um, is to immediately continue to do it differently. You know what I mean? It was like, I became open to trying new things. I became open to figuring out something that worked better for me than what I was previously doing. Cause obviously drinking and using cocaine was not working. And the moment I just became open to it is like how I sort of found my way. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we talk about in, in, you know, as far as, you know, I come from a 12 step background. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we say that there's only one thing that you have to change and that's everything. Yes. So it, it mm-hmm. I mean, the whole process and everything you're describing, it, it, it's all basically the same for everybody. If you it want is. to mm-hmm. change your life, then you have to change the people, places and things around you that, mm-hmm. you know, you're that, that have that basically have been your staple for all these years. Right. So you have to, you know, you get to a point where you're like, I can't do this anymore. So now I have to change everything. So you start working out, you change Mm -hmm. your friends, you know, you, you, you start going to church, you know, for you, it was that, but irregardless, you know, I'm a firm believer that no matter what, no matter what's going on in, in your recovery journey, you have to connect with a higher power with God. You know, I believe that too. You know, and mm-hmm. That in and of itself, I, I've learned that, you know, in my darkest hours that, you know, when I have needed to reach out to God, he has never let me down. Not once, not once. No. And almost with a, an immediacy, like almost where there's been times even in my sobriety where I'm down and out and I'm depressed and I literally am on my hands and knees crying. And within minutes or a day it's like something happens where i was like oh that was it and it's like a message a message comes through and like whatever it was is just like soothed you know it's just like it's it's this great amazing um experience and and the way i sort of try to explain it to people because a lot of people get turned off by that and they want nothing to do with it and for me um i think the biggest thing is is to realize that it's not necessarily about a religion it's more about a relationship and having that you know relationship where it's like that's where you go for your wisdom and your strength and your intuition and 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 for comfort and for peace and no matter how many times you go you you always get what you need yes and it's this amazing thing and the more you do it and the more you foster it and the more you keep giving things up to it you can't deny it yeah i i can't talk enough about God or about my higher power when it comes to um, not not just recovery, but just in general, how your life unfolds or will unfold naturally once you connect with that. I think we we all since since birth we're seeking, you know, we're, we're seeking that connection yes. with a higher power. It's what we're what's it's what we gravitate towards. And you take the wrong road because you've been introduced to things and you don't like the way, you know, you don't like the packaging. So you automatically reject it and you reject Mm -hmm. the whole concept 
and you move away from it and you feel as though like for us, it was the drugs, it was alcohol, it was a party. It was like, don't tell me what to do kind of attitude. And that's what we run with. It's almost like just a rebellion. I don't need to hear any of this God stuff or, you know, I, I got this and I'm going to do things my way. Uh-huh. And it may get to a point where there's no way for you to stop anymore. There's no way for you to say, wow, this is kind of getting out of control. You're so deep in, in the eye of the, of the tornado that unless, unless somebody shakes you up and you hit the bottoms that we hit, you've hit a bottom, I've hit a bottom, you know, you get to that point where you wake up and there's this fleeting thought that comes in that says, you don't have to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And for oh, the first so time, good. you choose to listen to that voice. Yes. Because it's yeah. been there. That voice has been there. That, that voice had presented itself quite a few times. And I, oh, don't yeah. know, I don't know why at that, the point like yourself, where it was just I, enough was enough. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was like I finally heard it. I wanted to hear it, actually. Yeah. You know, it's like you hear it so many times. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Shut up. I don't know. I'm not ready. You're not know what you're talking about. And then at some point, there's this like this switch where it's like, okay, maybe you're onto something. Maybe I should listen. (laughs) Okay. And what's ironic, just to touch on what you said on two things I thought of while you were talking through that, it was like. You know, I think a lot of people um, struggle with relinquishing control. And the ironic thing of it all is that we want to be in control so bad that we're not willing to surrender, surrender, you know, like, you know, show me what you got kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Whereas like when we're in our active addictions, we think we have all this control, but we're completely out of control. It's like you don't want to relinquish control, but you don't even have it. <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> so I always think that's like the hardest thing for people is t- the, the surrendering part and the like sort of letting go and and coming to terms with the fact that maybe I don't have this under control and maybe there is a better way. And maybe if I could just let go just a little bit to maybe there being a better plan for me or a greater good for me, then that's when the miracles start to happen. And that's when you realize that that, and I touched on this earlier, is that I was constantly craving connection. And that's why I like to get high because I felt more connected to the people I was talking to. And more importantly, when I was high, I felt more connected to myself Mm -hmm. because I felt like I was coming out of my shell and I wasn't this shy girl anymore. And now I was this party girl and I wasn't afraid to have conversations. And I, it was like, you know, what is the question? The answer is yes. I didn't know what no meant. You know, it was like, (laughs) I was this fearless person. And that was like that connection that I was like, craving. And it's cool because once you come into a relationship with God or higher power, however that resonates, um, for me, it's definitely God. It is the connection that you have been seeking. It is the connection that you've been looking for while you're using and getting high and getting drunk. Yes. And, and it creates this, this deeper sense of connection than you'll ever get anywhere else. Absolutely. No question about it. So after all this has happened, you know, you've, you've connected yourself um, religiously, you start going to church, um, you start to change everything, you start working out. So all these things start to happen. Mm-hmm. When did the blog start to take, t- start to take shape? 
Okay. So, um, I actually didn't start blogging until about, let's see, three years into my sobriety. I, you know, I was just kind of doing the bare minimum. I really hadn't done any like sort of step work or personal development. I just sort of like, I was coasting along, you know, <laughs> I was like in this competition with myself and that was sort of fueling me and the this practices that I had put in place were working. So, um, about three years into it, I, um, I went through a breakup and I was pretty devastated. And, um, like I said, I had started writing, you know, and it was like a therapeutic thing. And at that point in time, I started reading a lot of like self-help books. Um, you know, I was reading the Bible obviously, but I also started reading things like Gabrielle Bernstein and the daily love. I got turned on to this guy, Coop Waxen, who's awesome. Um, and I started like really connecting with like this self help type of thing. I think I started reading a course in miracles at that time and just like, I couldn't get enough, you know, I just couldn't get enough. And I feel like that's when I really started to have sort of like that spiritual awakening. Like I had already uh, became awake, you know, in that spiritual experience that I had on August 17th, 2008. But I really started to dive in and do the work. Like I started to get into the nitty gritty of like, why, why was I like that? And, um, I'm going through this really tough time and, and how can I deal with it now in healthier ways? And that's when I really started writing and I was writing about what I was learning. I was writing about what I was reading. I was, I started doing, um, like coaching work. Like I went to, um, I did a Handel, uh, workshop, um, one weekend a what? and it was, it was, it's called the Handel group. Okay. And they're a pretty big group out of, I think it's New York and they do these weekend workshops where you literally like dive into every area of your life. And it was a pretty cool transformational experience. And so that sort of turned me on to the coaching. And that's sort of when I really started doing like, I guess my version of the step work, if you will. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right. And that's when, then that's kind of around the time that the blog was born and I started writing and it was just super therapeutic for me. And then people started reading it and they started sharing it. And then the next thing I know here, here it was. And, and it was like, it was really cool because, you know, miracles are brewing is sort of like synonymous with what I felt like was going on the whole time. You know, it was like, I did all this partying. I drove drunk. You know, I, thankfully I never got a DUI. I never got arrested. I never had anything truly bad happen. And it was because this miracle was just like brewing all along in the background, brewing, 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 you know? And it's like, everybody has that going on. And that's really what miracles are brewing is about is to, to help people understand that we all have miracles and they're all brewing. And sometimes they're, they're huge, like massive, like the one that I experienced, but every single day there's like these little tiny miracles happening. And it's just, you know, those things that are like guiding you and nudging you and like showing you the way on the path, you know, to me, those are all, you know, little tiny miracles. And it's just, you have to be willing to go in and to do the work and to sort of come face to face with yourself. Absolutely. That's a really huge piece of it all. That is so beautiful. 
you tell such a wonderful story, Carly. I just, thank you. Thank you. I I've been blessed with it. I mean, I've been blessed with the story, <laughs> yeah. so I might as well do it some justice by telling it good, right? <laughs> yeah. No, that's for sure. It's almost like you make my job so easy. <laughs> I just yeah. let you go. Well, you're talk to. Thank you. <laughs> There's so much of your story that is that young people need to hear and connect yes. with because there's so much there's resistance to 12 step fellowships there's resistance to the concept of god you know there's resistance to changing to making the big the commitment to change yes you know mm-hmm. we want to stop we want all the bad stuff to stop that's really what we want it isn't really that i want to stop partying it's not that I really want to change anything in my life. I just want the bad consequences to stop. And it's a subconscious thought that so many of us have. You know, you don't admit it. You don't say it out loud when you're asking for help. But in the back of your mind, you're trying to figure out how to do the least and get the most. Yes. And yeah. it just <laughs> does not work like that. It Mm-mm. didn't work like that for me. It didn't work like that for you. I was not... A religious person. I was not a God person. I was not a follow the rules person. I was somebody who needed to just stop all the bad stuff to happen. And when they told me what it is that I needed to do, I was in so much pain that I just did it. I just stopped saying, well, why this and why that? It was just like, okay, how do I do this? And as soon as I started following directions, and as soon as I connected with with God, it all started to change yeah. really fast. Yeah, and you became open. I think oh, yeah. that's the biggest thing. It's like a lot, I feel like a lot of people reject sort of like those ideas and concepts, but without actually trying them. If you just open yourself a little bit, just a little bit. I know it's scary, but if you could just open up just a little bit instead of just like rejecting it without really knowing. Oh man, amazing things happen. Yes. No, no, no. Yes, 100% true. For those listeners, for the young listeners that are out there, there's so much that you can take away from here. But the, the most important thing is that without real change, without a commitment to do something different, if nothing changes, nothing changes, and the same stuff's just going to keep happening over and over and over and over again. We're, we're on the same exact page. I love it. I do too. It's so great, you know, talking to other people in the, in the recovery community. And I actually wrote a piece about this is just like addiction. And I, I lump alcoholism into that too. Addiction looks differently on everybody, but it feels the same on the inside to everyone. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No matter how you're wearing it, you're feeling it the way everyone else is feeling it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. So Carly, let's start closing up. And uh, the way I like to close up is for the newcomer. So I'm going to ask you five questions about your early recovery. And I want you to respond with inspiring and insightful answers you can share with our newcomers. Okay. All right. So question number one, what was keeping you from getting clean or staying clean when you first got introduced to recovery? My initial resistance, I guess, was two things. Um, I had myself convinced that I didn't have a problem. Because mm-hmm. I was such a high functioner, I went to work, I paid my bills, like I wasn't sleeping on the streets. So in my mind, I guess my ego was a real big block. 
I kept thinking I could figure it out, that I could do it. You know, I didn't want to ask for help. I didn't want to admit that I had a problem. My ego, I guess that was the biggest thing was my ego, my yep. pride yep. was getting in the way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. For so many of us. Happens. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And number two, at what point did you have a spiritual awakening, that aha moment when you accepted that you were powerless over drugs and alcohol for the first time, but you developed that hope that you really could recover? Oh, man. Um, I guess it happened. My The major spiritual awakening happened in that moment when I got down on my hands and knees for the first time and begged for a miracle. Um, but what was interesting was... Um, just a small little story I'll tell you here is I got sober on August 17th. My best friend's birthday was on September 11th. So I was like, what, three weeks into my, this sobriety, new sobriety thing. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just like, Oh, we're going to dinner and getting a bottle at a club. It was like a whole weekend extravaganza. And I went, cause I was like, I'm not, I'm, I was like, I'm, I might be sober, but I'm not going to be boring. <laughs> and so I'm not missing my best friend's birthday. So I went and I, you know, I went that weekend and it was really hard. You know, they were drinking, they were blowing lines. And I was standing there with my Red Bull on the other side. And I was like, just observing, you know, it's like we had rented a boat, someone fell off the boat, there was fighting, there was drama, there was crying, there was the this and the that. And I just remember standing there and I was like, man, I am so glad I don't look like that right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I think maybe that I'm not missing out on anything. And so I don't know if that's a spiritual awakening or not, but in that weekend and in those moments, I was like, if I can do this, if I can make it through this weekend, I can do this. Like I can do this, you know? And it was like, I finally saw it from like the outside. Cause normally I would have been right up in it. I would have been ring leading it. I probably would have been the one falling off the boat. And you know what I mean? It was like this whole new perspective of like, I'm glad I'm not drunk and I'm glad I'm not fighting with people. And I'm glad I'm not mouthing off. And it was like, I had awakened to the concept of the fact that you can still go out and have fun and not drink and not use drugs. And in that moment it was like, okay, I, I got this. <laughs> Listen, if that's not a spiritual awakening, I don't know what is. Okay. Yes. There, there you have it. That was one of many. One of many. <laughs> God, I remember those. I remember yes. being in, in parties going, oh, my God, is that, is that what I was doing? Mm, is that what I look like? Is that what it looks like? I'm mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. Yes. There's no question. Yeah. Because here it is, you're you're on the other side now. You're on the other side, so you're looking right. at this, and it's not like, man, I wish I could jump in there. I wish, yeah, I wasn't you know, having any FOMO. No. There was no FOMO going on. I was like, <laughs> damn, it feels good to be a gangster on this side. <laughs> oh man, that's priceless. No FOMO, no fear of missing out there. Actually, nope. no, I'm part of the the Jomo Club. What's Jomo? The joy of missing out. 
Oh, I love that. Oh, I might yeah. have to borrow that. Take I it. I, I still, I, I found, I saw that on Facebook. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> it was great. I saw that. I'm like, I'm all about that. <laughs> yeah. And it was cool. It was like, you know what? It set the tone for like how I started carrying myself inside my sobriety because I was like determined that I was like not going to change the things that I like. Cause I like to go out. I like to dance. I love electronic music and I didn't want to let the sobriety piece of things change my social, um, interactions, you know, although I was going to go and be social and not be partaking in extracurricular activities anymore, <laughs> I still was going to go, you know, maybe I didn't go as much as possible, but I think that's a really big thing for people to understand is that your life is not over because you decide you're not going to drink or use drugs anymore. It's actually the beginning. Amen. <laughs> Amen, sister. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Great answer. Great answer. All right. So, Carly, do you have a favorite book that you would recommend to a newcomer that you read in early recovery? Well, I've already been plugging the Bible a lot, but I know that's probably not going to resonate with everyone. So I will mention, um, I did read a book in the very beginning of my sobriety called Rational Recovery. Oh. And it was a great book. Um, I guess not all parts of it resonated with me, but there were some really powerful parts in that book. Um, that just clicked for me. Um, and I, I highly recommend that book. It really teaches you how to, uh, become a witness and aware of the voice in your head, which the author refers to as the beast that tells you to drink and to use. It's like, Oh, it's happy hour somewhere. It's five o'clock. Oh, I had a bad day at work. Better hit the, better hit the bar. And it's like, it teaches you how to become aware of this like nasty voice in your head that tells you that those things are a good idea. And it actually tells you and it trains you how to like tell it no. So you begin, be, begin to have this conversation in your head between your beast voice mm -hmm. and like your higher self voice. And it's like, I remember I read that book and I was just like shaking my head like, yep, yep. I know exactly what you're talking about. That happens <laughs> to me all the time. That. That SOB, you know what I mean? It oh, like, yeah. I, I, it just really clicked for me. And um, I don't know. There was something about reading that book that uh, I just really put into practice. And I started becoming aware of the voice in my head that was telling me to do those things. Because, you know, when you're in your active addiction, you are on autopilot. Like, you're not thinking like, oh, well, why am I thinking about going to the bar? And, oh, well, maybe, um, is that not a good idea? It's like, yes, yes. Oh, definitely. That's what we're doing. You know? So the book, um, has some really cool techniques in there. And that's one of them that really, uh, stuck with me and I still use it to this day. Yeah. We call that little voice, the itty bitty, the, the itty bitty shitty committee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tell that so, guy to go sit somewhere else. <laughs> Can't sit with us. <laughs> so is it, I just Googled it, is it the small book, Rational, no, Rational um, Recovery Systems? It's called just, no. it's just called Rational Recovery. And I think the author's name is, um, hold on, I don't want to bash, uh, I don't want to Guess mess it right. up. I think it is, oops, sorry, I typed it in wrong. I think it's Jack Trimby. Let me, let That's me it. pull it up. That's the one. Yeah. It's Rational the, recovery. Yeah. Jack Trim. Well, Jack. Trimpe. Yeah. yeah I, I, like like I always get it wrong. <laughs> a revolutionary alternative for overcoming alcohol and drug dependency. 
Yes. There it is. Mm-hmm. There it is. Okay. Get it at Barnes Noble. It's super easy. They usually have at least one or two in stock. And I mean, I'm telling you, you, I read it and I was like, he is in my head. How does he know that? He's <laughs> probably an alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> I was exactly like them. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, Carly, tell us what is the best suggestion you have ever received? Oh, man. I'll tell you what. Last year on my sober date, seven years into this game, I was sitting there and I was like, man, I don't know if I want to do this for forever. Do I never want to drink again? Really? Like, oh, I could just have a glass of wine and just like check it out on my sober date, mind you. (laughs) And I'm like, I, I called that same friend of mine that I had called in the very beginning who was two months, ahead, who is two months ahead of me. And I was like, man, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling today. And it wasn't that I wanted to get drunk or that I wanted to get high. It was more like, I felt like I didn't have the option, even if I wanted to choose it because of like all the work that I'm doing with miracles or brewing. And I was like, I was really struggling. It was like a thing where I was like, man, even if I wanted to do this, I can't. And I, it's not because I wanted to. It was just like this weird thing going on in my head. And he sort of like helped walk me through it. And he was like, okay, well, what would you explain to people? What if you did just have one? And then that one turned into two. And then that two turned into three. And the next thing you know, someone's laying lines out in front of you. You're going to be able to like what are you going to tell your parents are you going to shut your website down I mean he just like went through this whole thing of like I wasn't thinking about what are you where are you going with this I wasn't thinking anything like that and I'm like no I I didn't think about any of that I just I just really don't know if I want to do this for forever and he said something to me in that moment that just changed the game and I had heard it before but it was just like you know what car you don't have to do it for forever you just have to do it for today that's the world we live in just for today. <laughs> and it sounds cliche, but I'm telling you, that was the best advice I've ever gotten. And I don't know why it's something so simple, but it's like, I feel like a lot of the times, especially in early recovery, when you're explaining to people that you're not going to drink and they want to know, oh, so never, you're never going to drink again. Like, oh, you're going to have wine though, right? At least. And it's like, it's this concept that you have to like, you know, navigate around. And that is like the one thing that I would, you know, suggest is that when you start feeling heavy and forever starts feeling like forever and never starts being like a a scary word, you just have to do it for today. Just today, make the right decisions today and just do it for today. (laughs) That's all you got to do. I couldn't agree more. (laughs) I couldn't agree more. I don't know what's coming up tomorrow, but I know that just for today, I ain't drinking. I'm sober. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. And if you could give our newcomers only one suggestion, what would it be? Remember why you started. Mm. Because you get down the line and you forget the pain and the shame and the guilt and the depression and the anxiety. You forget about all of those things. And so it's very, very important to always put yourself in check. And remember those times and remember why you started. Because I'll tell you what, that is one thing that has kept me sober is I always ask myself, but how are you going to feel tomorrow if you do this today? And I do not want to feel that shame because I felt the shame of addiction, but I'm willing to bet that the shame 
of relapsing is a million times worse. Play the tape through. Yeah. Yep. Take it all like, the way to the end. Don't forget. Don't, don't forget those roots where you came from. I love you know? it. It's just, it's really, really important to remember why you started and to remember that, you know, it's, it's a lifestyle. It is a complete lifestyle change. And, you know, once you embrace it and you continue to remember why you started and you remember that you just have to do it for today, you come into this whole new way of being and of living. And the less you have to remind yourself of those things, you know, but when they come up, you, you just go back to why you started. We remember. And that's why it's important, um, you know, that for me, especially that I do interviews like this and podcasts and share the story because it always brings me back to that day where I got on my hands and knees and I get the chills every time I tell the story because I'm remembering why I started this journey and how it started. I love it. I love it. Wow. Carly, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And um, I wanted to just tell you real quick, I, uh, from my eight-year soberversary, I created a tank top. Right now, I only have it for women's, and I haven't really released it to anyone, but you can get it on my website, and it actually says, Sober is the new cool. I wrote a blog about it some a couple years ago, actually, and it went completely bonkers, crazy, viral, and um, seemed to really resonate with everyone. So Sober is the new cool that is available on a tank top on my website, and um, it's actually a limited edition. You can't get because it's like a Teespring thing, so there's only a certain amount of them that are, that are available. Um, but it's something to be proud of. It's like, you know, I'm rocking this lifestyle, and for me, <laughs> Sober is the new cool. People ask me all the time, why are you sober? And I'm like, Sober's the new cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I forgot. Please tell our listeners What's the best right way for them to find you, to reach you, your websites, you know, your social media? How do we get a hold of you? Okay, so my website is miraclesarebrewing.com. Uh, that's where I do a weekly blog every week. You can sign up for weekly updates. It's free. I send out a blog every like Thursday or Friday, depending on how that week's going. Um, and it's just inspirational. I share things about sobriety, faith personal development, all kinds of cool stuff. And then the real magic happens over on the Facebook page, which is just miracles are brewing. You can get to it from my, uh, from my website. Um, we have a really strong tribe going on over there. It actually just hit 25,000 last week. So wow. I had my soap anniversary and that happening at the same time, which was really cool. Um, very uplifting daily positive inspiration. Um, there's like five or six posts a day on there. So it's pretty cool to get involved. Some cool conversations happen. Um, I'm on Instagram too. And that's more of like a behind the scenes kind of thing of like where I'm traveling to, what I'm up to. Um, and my handle on Instagram is Carly B Benson. It's C A R L Y B Benson. And, um, that's the same for my Twitter as well. Beautiful. Come gonna, check us out. Yeah. Drop me a line. I would love to hear from anybody, um, especially if, you know, I'd be curious what resonated with you on this interview. Uh, well, everything resonated with me on this interview because <laughs> it was like you telling my story, uh, especially the cocaine. Um, and then, folks, I'm going to have all this listed on the show notes. 
Um, there was a picture of you that I saw where it said retired blackout artist. Yeah, I just got that. That's from my homie over at the Sober Life. He uh, he came to town, and I did a little photo shoot with him to sort of model that tank top. He's got a bunch of cool stuff, and actually, he sort of inspired me to create this tank top of mine that I I did. And I actually told him about it. And he was like, "That's so cool. You should do it." But um, yeah, that retired blackout artist is um, on a website called thesoberlifeclothing.com, and I mean that thing is blowing up. Everybody loves that thing. It's great. I got you. Okay, so those. <laughs> aren't yours no those are not but yours? i would love to send people to his site to, okay. to get them because he's awesome so this is your first t-shirt this is my first tank yep exactly right. okay yeah. so and uh, i'm gonna need a i'm gonna need a picture of that one yeah i'm sure you've That's got one where you're wearing one right I actually, I, ju I literally just made it yesterday. Okay. So I, I don't have one yet, but I, I have a copy of the shirt. It's on my website. I have some in the mail coming to me. So I'll be doing a little shoot soon. Uh, yeah. Do a shoot. And then, uh, I'll post that in the show notes as well. So people can see what it looks like on you. Awesome. Awesome. I totally will. Thank you. Beautiful. Beautiful. Did you have any questions for me? I, uh, you know, I was curious actually to ask you, you know, how long ago did you start the share podcast? Like how long have you, has this been going for you? I started this February, um, well, it's been almost two years. So we're in two Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's been, yeah, it hasn't even been two years yet. Um, but it's been something that has just completely morphed my my recovery to another level. It's it's just I've connected with so many people. I'm connecting with you right now, mm -hmm. um, and 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 so many others that I would have never met in the recovery community if it wasn't for the podcast. And so, much like yourself, it's it's a huge part of holding myself accountable. I've got all these people that send me emails that are part of my you know private Facebook group. You're in there as well, um, and that also you know it, it, it's a huge part of me holding myself accountable because you know what happens. I mean, I don't really think about it that often. You know what happens if you know I go back out to drink or if I use again? Oh my God, I'm gonna right. let all these people down, which is it's true. It's true, but that happened to me for me even before this started. There just came a point in my recovery where I just knew that I had not just myself, but I just had too many people counting on me to mm -hmm. stay clean. I know yes. that I have to do it for myself. I know that. That number one is me. But, you know, my mother, my sister, my daughter, my wife, my friends, you know, my recovery network. I mean, just it's over the years, it's just grown so much that the ramifications of, of me going back out are just massive. It's just on another level. And yes, that's what I was getting. That was That's what I was getting to. It's like, are you, do you experience that too? And it sounds like you, you absolutely do. So that's amazing. I think it's, we all do, you know, yeah. the, the thought of going back out there, especially the story that you tell, right? Reaching that bottom and the things that happened to you are the same things that happened to me. And the thought of trying to climb out of that hole again. Oh, oh. man. Oh. No way. Yuck. No way. Yeah, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> it's like it seems like a whole other lifetime ago. Sometimes I'm like, was that a dream? I feel like I'm just a completely different person. And um, it is really nice to 
have this outlet and this sense of connection with people through, you know, connecting like what you're doing and with me, with what I'm doing with writing. Um, it really is such, is such a huge factor in, you know, maintaining sobriety. And so I think that's important for everyone that's listening is to just really realize that you don't have to do it alone. And there's so many people that it, you'll talk to that it's like, man, you're telling the same story I'm, I had, you know, and you have such this deep, you have that deep sense of connection with people um, who shared in, in very similar experiences. And it's, it's so, so important to find that tribe and to just latch on to them. Listeners, lots of gold on this interview. You might have to <laughs> listen to this one twice. <laughs> yes man and take get notes me going. Take get notes. me going <laughs> <laughs> thank goodness it's recorded <laughs> yes all right carly again well, thank, thank you, you so much. much yes thank you i really appreciate it oh keep doing what you're doing keep being an inspiration and i'll see you online <laughs> absolutely so folks who have now reached the end of our show Thanks for joining us. And as we say here in Costa Rica, Pura Vida. Pura Vida. Thank you for joining us on the Share Recovery Podcast. To check out the show notes page on this interview or to thank our guests for sharing their story, go to www.thesharepodcast.com. While you're on the website, don't forget to sign up for our free newsletter to stay up to date on the latest news, podcasts, and interviews. Want to be one of our guests and share your story? Then go to our website and click on the Share Your Story button. We share our inspiring recovery stories every Tuesday. So subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio to get your free weekly download. We'll see you then. The opinions shared on this show reflect those of the individual speaker and not of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. And though we discuss 12-step recovery and the impact it had in our lives, we do not promote or endorse any 12-step anonymous program.